It's a mindset that brings about a different mindset. When a couple who's in love argues and says mean things and does mean things, think about this. One of you could die at that moment. You're in love and you're arguing with each other. You're saying mean things. One of you could die at that very moment. My question would be, do you want your very last memory to be of that fight or argument? Do you really want to walk around going, man, if only I didn't say that. If only that wasn't the last thing he or she heard. Currently fighting with someone? Is there a person in your life with whom you are estranged? In today's message, Pastor Mark reminds you of the fragility of life so that you may get the motivation you need to seek reconciliation. Never forget that when you are volleying harsh words and insults at someone you love, you are not guaranteed the next minute of breath, let alone tomorrow. Don't allow your words to be unloving ones ever. Jesus taught that if it is in your power to make peace, you should make peace. Jesus also commanded his people to be forgiving and to love others with God's sacrificial, limitless love. Well, let's join Pastor Mark with today's message from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 14. Uh, We've actually had somebody sitting in our own house one time that told us, I can't believe you don't see this my way. And I remember I just looked, I was like, both of you get out. Just go. I ain't got time for this, man. It's Saturday. There's a hockey game I'd rather be watching on than sit here playing games with you too. And they just looked at me like, I can't believe you're not going to help us. You don't want help. You just want somebody to raise a flag when you make a good point. I'm, I'm not keeping score for you. Time to go. And they were gone. And so sometimes you just have people that just want to do that. Some people just don't want a solution or an answer. They just love to whine and cry and complain. And they're the ones, when given a solution or asked, have you done this? They say no, because, or I would have if... Well, they really don't want a solution. They just want a a pity party. So the answer has to be followed by an acknowledgement of God, and, and it is who he is. And she brings up some amazing things. First, she noted that death is a hallmark of the human condition. In verse 15, she says, you know, her emphatic verbal statement that we must surely die. She says, you know, and it's true. If you think about it, statistics prove that one out of every one person dies, Right? We're all going, it's all going to happen to us. So one out of one dies. Everybody dies. Where you go depends on decisions you make. And so, and it's an apparent allusion to Genesis 2.17. If that's the case, then she's restating the Torah and the teaching that God consigned all people to die. So she goes back. She's using scripture now. She's becoming the the agent that God wants to use to kind of convict David and teach David and point David down the right path. David thinks it's him, and David used scripture. And sometimes you can get two people that are using scriptures, and a good thing will happen. Other times you'll get two people using scripture, and one person's trying to use it to twist it and get their way. That's a bad thing that'll happen. 
So she says, hey, you know what here? God has consigned all people to die. Second, she noted that although God requires every person's death, he doesn't try to take away life. He says, yeah, everybody's going to die. God requires this to happen. Every person's going to die, but he doesn't take away life. Instead, he devises a way. If you're taking notes, write this down. God devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him forever. Think about it. It, We're all banished. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And God says the only way that you can reconcile that is, I mean, think about it. When you're saved, you hear Christians say this all the time, the, the cliche, hey, bro, are you saved from what? If somebody ever asks you that, you as a Christian, play this game with them. It's kind of fun to see what they say. Say, from what? And they'll say, from hell. But we're really not saved from hell, right? We're saved from God's wrath. We're saved from God because God being a just and righteous God, because he's, it says in his word that he can't change. He can't, well, he, he's not going to deviate from the path that he's already set. He's not going to leave and go, oh, you know what? I'm, I changed my mind about that. See, he never changed his mind about any of us. His mind wouldn't change. He allowed there was a provision for you and I to find our way into heaven because all sin requires, well, the death penalty. It goes back to Adam and Eve. They blow it in the garden and something, I mean, they had covered themselves with fig leaves. Anybody ever touch a fig leaf? It's pretty itchy. And why you would wear that down there, I don't understand. But they did because they weren't smart. They just grabbed the first thing and just covered themselves up. I mean, and that leaf would dry out pretty quick, crack, crumble, and it's like, oh, another pair of underwear I need. And so God says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and fix this. And so it says he covered them with skins. Now, anybody ever feel a rabbit skin coat? Those things are soft. Man, that would be nice to wear those around as underwear. So he made them some skins to cover themselves. A death was required for the sin. So, So they're going back and forth. And so God has devised a way for you and I in the New Testament to find our way to heaven. And it's not good works. Because here's why if it was good works. When Jesus was talking to that religious leader in John 3.3, his name was Nicodemus, he's a religious leader. It'd be like the Pope walking up to Jesus and going, hey man, we perceive that you are a man from God. We've seen these miracles. People talk about all these great things you've done. And Jesus says, well, surely I say, he doesn't even say, yeah, you know, that's me, buddy. (laughs) Get a t-shirt, I'll sign it for you. He doesn't even acknowledge it that way. He just says, hey, assuredly I say to you, if you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. That's John 3.3. A little while after that, John 3.16 happens. For God so loved the world that, to do what? To die on a cross, to die that death. To be that sacrifice that we needed to cover our sin for you and I so we can make it into heaven. And we should get excited about that. So he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. James 4.14 is a New Testament reference to this verse. And so she says in verse 14, it would be horrible if he were to die and never be reconciled to you. It would be horrible for you and I to be dead, for somebody to hear the gospel message and never be reconciled to God, knowing that God had given his only begotten son to die a shameful, painful, horrible death that was meant for you and I. And we, we just walk away from it like nothing happened. 
And so it tells us in the Bible that Jesus had beat death. That's what Easter celebrates, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nobody's ever been able to beat death. That's the one thing you and I, no matter how hard we can try, can beat death. But we get to live eternally, forever, in heaven because of Jesus Christ. This is an irony that God established a world system that requires death, but then works to contravene or intervene into our lives so we don't have to see it eternally. And so he creates a system, a way to spare life. And, and when you think about it, isn't that the best presentation of the gospel that this lady gives and lays out to David right here? I mean, you can see it all happening right here. She lays out the gospel. She provided David with a theological justification for being reconciled to Absalom. And so since the Lord makes harsh judgments against sinners, but then establishes, establishes mechanisms for reconciliation, the king, as the Lord's representative in matters on justice on earth, should do the same is what she's saying. So, hey, if God's doing this, why shouldn't you do this? And if God is willing to forgive because there's a problem in your family, why aren't you willing to forgive? And it's not based off of a feeling. It's based off of a decision. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Oh, it starts out as a feeling. The warm fuzzies. You know, I used to always laugh. I'd tell my brother, I was like, man, when we were little kids, I was like, how could Grandpa marry somebody like Grandma? Look at her. And, and why would Grandma marry somebody like Grandpa? It didn't make any sense to me, you know, because when you're like seven, growing old just doesn't really hit you. Until you hit 40. And then you're like, oh, man, that red goatee I used to have, somebody, I wonder what, did you just pour peroxide on my beard last night? You start to think about old a little differently. You start to realize that one day you're going to be dead. You're not going to be here anymore. And so, again, it's a mindset. It brings about a different mindset. When a couple who's in Love argues and says mean things and does mean things. Think about this. One of you could die at that moment. You're in love and you're arguing with each other. You're saying mean things. One of you could die at that very moment. My question would be, do you want your very last memory to be of that fight or argument? Do you really want to walk around going, man, if only I didn't say that. If only that wasn't the last thing he or she heard. I I mean, you think about it when we say those mean things. Or do you wish you would have said, I love you, rather than calling the other person a name? I wish I'd have rather just told them I love them rather than just calling them names. You know, I've done a few funerals, and there's a lot of regret that you see at funerals. Oh, man, I wish I'd have just went to see them a few more times. I wish I'd have just said I love you one more time. I wish I'd have just held that little hand one last time. I wish... And if they're Christians, you know, you you will be reunited in heaven. The Bible tells us that. You know, think about it. Try to reconcile rather than just tear things apart. So we move from acknowledgement to an agreement. Look at verse 18. Then all his servants passed before him, and and then the king answered and said to the woman, Please do not hide from me anything that I ask you. 
The woman said, please, let my lord the king speak. So the king said, is this the hand of Joab with you in all this? Now, see, David's kind of like, man, dude, that Joab, I know that guy. See, I know when my mom tells Jess to tell me to do something. Or, you know, it's even better when people hear, you know, somebody tells me, hey, Mark, what about this great idea? And I'm like, eh, it's not a great idea, bro. And then all of a sudden, at lunch on a Sunday afternoon, Jess was like, hey, you want to hear something cool? And I'm like, Wow. Did you talk to so-and-so? Yeah. Why? Well, that was their idea. And did they tell you to talk? Yeah. No. I'm very protective of my wife in that way. Don't crawl through the bathroom window to get in my house. Just knock on the door. I'll let you in or out. No, no, no. So you hear these things, you know, and you see it. And you're like, oh, yeah. So he's all like, is this, hey, this sounds very Joab-ish. And the woman answered and said, As you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything my lord the king has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me, and he put all these words in my mouth of your maidservant. To bring about this change of affairs, your servant Joab has done this thing. But my lord is wise according to the wisdom of the angel of God to know everything that is in the earth. And the king said to Joab, All right, I have granted this thing. Go therefore... Bring back the young man Absalom. And then Joab fell to the ground on his face, bowed himself, and he thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose, went to Geshur, and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. Now, she says, yes, this was Joab. He he was the guiding purpose. He was the guy that just wanted a change. He just simply wanted to improve the present situation. And there are those people who when two people argue and they disagree that, man, we just want you to get, and they don't, they don't want you fighting because eh, it's just uncomfortable for me. And so, you know, do whatever you need to do to fix this. Do whatever you need to do to fix That's not the right way to do things. If it bothers you and you just want them to reconcile because you're bothered, that's the wrong reason to, rec- have, to be that agent. It's wrong. It's not about you. It should never be about you. Remember, deny self? Well, I would be very uncomfortable butting into somebody's business. Pray about it first. Maybe the Lord will show you. you. You are to be the peacemaker. So Joab carries out his scheme in part to help David find an adequate justification for doing what his heart had been urging him to do. And Joab had risked both his position... He risked both his position of honor in David's court and perhaps even his own life by doing this thing, by attempting to influence the king as he did. Look at verse 24. And the king said, let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. Really? Let's just bring him back. I can't stand to see this dude's face. So it's kind of like a lot of households here in America. You have a house, but you don't have a home. You got two people that may share a bed, but they can't stand each other. I was watching some show the other day where the husband and wife were wanting to get their marriage annulled because they couldn't um, stand each other. And they'd been married for 15 years. They're like, oh, you know, we're just not in love with each other. And And the priest, it was a Catholic priest trying to counsel them, goes, you know, well, maybe you should do this. We do that. We pray together. Maybe you should serve together. We do. We run the soup kitchen. Well, maybe you should do this. And, and, and being a Catholic priest, it always makes me laugh. And he's like, well, maybe you should do something more carnal. Go away on a romantic weekend. 
Duh. And so, you know, this, this thing happens. But throughout the whole show, they couldn't stand each other. And then something happens. The man's gone for some reason. Somebody kidnaps him. They blow up his car, burn another body in there. The wife starts freaking out, crying. She goes, wow, I wish I'd have said all these things while you were still alive. I can't believe you're really gone. I really miss you. I I realize I really do love you. I just wish we could stand each other. All this happens. Later on, they find out this guy's been kidnapped. He's alive in a box somewhere. She's so happy to see him. So if your marriage is having problems, hire somebody to kidnap your spouse and just, you know, that's not the way to do it. See, again, it's not based on feelings. And as Asa and I were sitting there, even Asa was saying, love's not a feeling. I'm like, you're seven. You, don't, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't even watch this. But it's not based on feelings. It's based on a commitment. And so here's what happens. He brings him back into the house. And says, I don't, it's his own son. He should love him. And I'm sure he does. He longed to see him. He just didn't want to see his face. There's still some... Uh, Uh, There's still a problem there. Look at verse 24. And the king said, let him return to his own house. Do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his house. And he couldn't even come in and eat dinner with his own dad. He he brings him back, but he doesn't deal with the problem. It's still there. If you don't deal with a problem, it's going to be there. It's always going to be there. You can bury it and cover it up, and it can grow and fester and get nasty and gross and stinky. But but you got to deal with the problem. Sometimes we just don't want to deal with problems. Uh, I'm not confrontational. Nobody's asking you to start a fight. It's kind of like one time I'd I'd hurt myself and the doctor had to re-break something so I could heal properly. It didn't feel good, but I'm glad he did. Because my my finger was growing crooked. He goes, well, we just got to re-break it. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Go ahead, let's re-break it. And he's like, no, and it's not the first time I've had something rebroken. And I remember thinking, how, how, why can't you just numb it so I don't feel it? And he goes, oh, that ain't. And he'd crack, and I screamed and wanted to rip his head off. And be like, well, then I'll, I'll reattach it and rebreak it if it doesn't heal right. Is that okay with you? But, but it had to heal properly. It was important that it heal properly. All right, I had a pinky that pointed that way all the time. I'd wave at you. would be like, what are you pointing at, dude? over there. Verse 27. To Absalom were born three sons. Well, let's finish 25. Now all of Israel was there, and no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair off of his head at the end of every year and cut it because it was heavy on him, when he cut it, it weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels according to the king's standard. You know how much 200 shekels weighs? Six pounds. This dude in one year grew six pounds of hair. But, I mean, think about it. I'd love to grow six pounds of hair a year. That'd be awesome. You'd never need to buy a jacket again. You just wear your hair. To Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. Remember Tamar? That was his sister. And you know what? That probably did... Tamar, calling little Tamar all the time, probably reminded him of his sister, and it just left that, oh, that bitter root there. And you're like, well, Mark, we read ahead of you. It looks like it all worked out. Don't read ahead. Let's stay with me. Verse 28, and Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. So he said to his servants, see, Joab's field is near mine. And he is, he's barely there. 
go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. And then Joab arose, came to Absalom's house because he said to him, why haven't your servants set my field on fire? He's like, dude, I've been calling you and you won't answer. So this is the only way to get your attention. I'm going to burn your stuff. Now, none of you handle things that way. It's not good. Because if you call me from jail and say, hey, Pastor Mark, I need a loan. And I'm going to say, well, you're going to have to fill out this application because we can't bail you out without knowing why we're bailing you out. And, oh, you caught somebody's field on fire. That's not cool. So he, he catches this guy's field on fire. Verse 32, and Absalom answered Joab, look, I sent to you saying, come here so that I may send you to the king to say, why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to, be, to still be there. Now, therefore... Let me see the king's face, but if there is iniquity in me, let him execute me. So Joab went to the king and told him, and he had called for Absalom and and came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and then the king kissed Absalom. You guys might be like, oh, happy ending, just for a second. So you might think, oh, how cool this is. It's a happy ending. No, David didn't want to deal with the issue. There's still a problem there. It's Joab's problem. No, it's not Joab's problem. We know it's not Absalom's, so it's David's. It's David's problem. And the decision will come back to haunt him. You might think, man, you know, you're bringing us to a close. You're talking about reconciliation, all this stuff, and then you you beat it down and beat it down. I just, you know what? I do. I just beat it down. I just want reality here. Uh, if we don't deal with the problem. See, I'd like to say, yeah, on the outside, everything is great. It looks good. How many people in here, you don't have to raise your hands, how many people in here on the outside, everything looks really great, life's going on, but inside, inside your homes, inside the walls of the house, inside yourself, it's not good. I tell people all the time, I was like, man, you know, it's crazy. This is a church. This is a place where sinners come and they can be reconciled to the Lord and problems can be reconciled. But, you know, you walk through here and maybe, maybe, hopefully, I pray that everybody's happy and good. But I know. And so we walk in here and I've seen it a lot of times. Everybody walks in, hey, how you doing? Great, good. And inside they're torn up, they're messed up. Life's not what they thought it would be and uh, For who is it really what we thought it would be? But we need to learn how to handle it. And so on the outside, they're reconciled, it looks like. But we see problems arise later. And so here's what I want us to do. Turn to Romans 12. Romans 12. And we're going to read this together. I want us all to stand and read this last verse together. Just this one verse. Here it goes. Ready? Go. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Amen. We should live peaceably as much as it depends upon you. It depends on us. King David's story didn't end when he ascended the throne. He had finally achieved the promise God gave him, but his time on earth was far from concluded. He had to raise his family, lead a nation, conquer the enemy, and continue to rely on his creator to sustain him. David didn't always do this with the grace and perfection we'd assume from a man after God's own heart. In fact, he frequently failed, giving in to temporary pleasures, neglecting what God had for him to do. Every time, though, David came back to his Creator. He repented of his sins and renewed his commitment to God. God's forgiveness was real and available for David, and it is for you today, too. 
Have you been afraid to come to God because of your life choices? He wants to hear from you. He sees your heart and already knows of your sins and is waiting to offer you forgiveness if you ask. Tracy's here to tell you more about this. Are you ready to meet Jesus and have your sins forgiven? We would be honored to be the ones to tell you about God's Son, who came to earth to pay the price for you and every person on earth. That price is death. But because Jesus died, you have the chance to live. Give us a call so we can tell you more. Our number is 281-391-5503. Thanks, Tracy. We are so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll tune in again to Come Alive.